and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeeHouse.com. Spirit HaOmer edition, where the intro is just us. <laughs> nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderful nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Shik, and I'm your host, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Tamar Herman. Hello. And S.M. Rosenberg. Hi. So today we're going to kind of... Uh, not, not stray too far from our last episode, which by the way, guys, we've gotten like almost 300 listens on, which is a record for us. So that's awesome. You guys like Harry Potter fan fiction, obviously. Um, but we're going to talk about Mary Sue's in fiction and what they are, what they should be. Are they good? Are they bad? That kind of thing. Um, but before we get to that, uh, we are going to, of course, start off, as usual, with our obsessions. So, uh, SM, why don't you kick us off? Okay. So, I've been wanting to talk about this for a few weeks, but we had to take a little break for Pesach. But um, it's still relevant because it is a relatively new show, and I am still excited about it. Um, there's uh, the CW's newest superhero show black lightning which i mean i'm i was kind of you know not super looking forward to it or anything because it was just like oh my god another superhero show ah. but this one this one feels fresher than a lot of the other ones and a lot of that does have to do with the fact that they decided to center it on a black cast of characters and it is clearly a show that is written by people of color and not a show that is you know written by white people you know trying to cater to people of color you know not the the way that like supergirl is written it feels like it's a show made by men that's trying to be like look we can do women too you know and like it doesn't work a lot of the time. It's like they're like, look at good, at, look at us doing feminism, and it's it's just painful sometimes. Um, but this, while it it can be heavy-handed, um, I feel like there's just a lot more authenticity, um, and the characters feel more vibrant and three-dimensional than like a lot of the, you know, when you see minor people of color, uh, characters of color on you know majority white shows they don't necessarily uh, feel as three-dimensional as the characters on this show right now. And I am really enjoying the family dynamic because um, the main character has two daughters and they both have very distinct personalities and he has an ex-wife and they co-parent really well together. Um, and like they broke up not because they don't care deeply about each other, but because you know he was a superhero and it was just too stressful and complicated for you know she's a doctor and she had to you know stitch him up after you know he would get hurt and it was just it was too much and she decided to draw the line and they you know they broke up but they still you know are very involved in each other's lives and they flirt and it's really cute and um and I really enjoyed the family dynamic and possibly the daughter may have one of the daughters may have superpowers and there may be a whole father daughter crime fighting dynamic going on. I'm not going to spoil too much about that, but um, it's it's a lot of fun and I am enjoying it. And I think that on the last episode, my obsession was Heart of Dixie, which um is relevant because one of the main actors from Heart of Dixie uh, is the main character 
in this show. And he played the mayor in that. And he plays he plays Black Lightning, who I feel also one of the major appeals of this show is that he feels like the the first like grown up superhero that we've had in a long time. If ever, most of the superheroes that I, I feel like they're on TV now just feel like kind of overgrown, you know, teenagers who what? don't really Oliver? have. Any- What's his name? <laughs> Isn't like a super adult with all of his angst and money. Like, I mean, like, like seriously, Oliver. Uh, no, so Oliver right now. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for Green Arrow. Oliver is like the mayor, right? But like, he's not a politician. Like, he does not interact with constituents he doesn't know any of the people that he's actually rescuing he cares about justice in the abstract it is great whatever but um black lightning he is a so his his uh real life persona um his, his name is jefferson pierce which is a very dignified name um and he is a public figure he's not uh like a, he's not an office or anything but he is the principal of the school and he is very much a public figure and he is like, he's the person that a lot of people go to and he's a mentor and he, and he's got this family and he just feels, he feels very rooted in real world responsibilities in a way that a lot of the other superhero characters, you know, just feels like their real lives are just obstacles in the way of their, you know, their, their crime fighting fun times. Hmm. And this doesn't feel like that. And I'm hoping that they maintain that balance. I know that it's very difficult to maintain that balance. Um, and it's just too tempting to just, you know, go off, you know, completely into, you know, superheroes and not treat the real world stuff with the care that it deserves. But it seems like so far they are, they are really trying to do a nice balance. And I really appreciate that. And I find it refreshing and I hope they continue. Cool. Yeah, I've heard good things about Black Lightning. I don't watch any of those shows, so I was kind of like, should I? Oh, I'm not gonna. But um, it's so far, it hasn't like crossed over. It may exist in the same universe, but they haven't done any crossovers. So, like, if you're gonna watch one superhero show, you could try this one. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work for you, you know, don't you know feel pressured or anything. <laughs> but um, it would be a good entry point. Right. So, Tamar, what is your current obsession? Uh, so, my current obsession uh, was one of the books I read over Pesach, Passover. Uh, I read Mary H.K. Choi's uh, Emergency Contact. It's a YA romance novel that's, like, super angsty and also touches on a lot of, like, class and um, cultural issues in the U.S. But the reason I'm including it is, like, it's not just the, the usual, like, YA angsty romance novel. Mary H.K. Choi also wrote uh, Lady Deadpool. She's like an amazing uh, comic writer and she now is switching into YA. Um, or not switching into, she's also dabbling in that. And I think she's also like a journalist. She works for uh, Vice on HBO. So um, if you like YA, it's kind of a really good book with a lot of really good perceptive because she's somebody who's so... Um, diverse in her in her mediums so like there's all these like really subtle things about that drawn like her experience so like you have this little side character who they has no real relevance to the plot and for like a good five pages you're just exploring that he's actually an artist and he's like planning on going to RISD and he's like a 13 year old boy and it's just this really fascinating thing about how she must perceive herself or or artists that she's interacted with perceive themselves when they're kids regarding their art um 
but it's just a really cute novel. Uh, if you've read, I feel like neither of you have, you read Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Rowell? I did. Oh, okay. Um, so I love Eleanor and Park. <laughs> so I remember not being satisfied with Eleanor and Park, so I was kind of scared about this because a lot of people were comparing it. Um, it's very similar. They're both like, um, they're both kind of outcasts for various reasons. She's um, a Korean girl raised by a single mom who's like a very like cool fun think of mean girls uh regina george's mom but actually like cool so like she has a young single mom who's like always kind of acting her appropriate age but not what most kids want their moms to be acting and then you have um so that's the girl that's penny and then the guy sam he's just like this kid who it's fascinating because he's essentially trailer park trash but like they don't like let that on for a little bit um so it's it's uh she's coming from her korean american background as a single like being raised by a single mom and then sam's coming from like where essentially like his life is falling apart because his mom opened up credit cards in his name so he like can't get out loans to pay for community college even so like that's where the story kind of begins and it's just like this and he's a he wants to be a documentary documentarian is that right is that how you say it he wants to make documentaries. It. <laughs> sounds right. It sounds right to me. So, he, so Sam wants to make documentaries and Penny wants to be a writer. And like they both um, are kind of like emotionally unable to express themselves. And they just kind of meet each other by by chance. So like she kind of runs into him once through a friend who's, who like introduces them. And then another time she sees him, he's like passed out on the street and she needs to take him to like the hospital. So that ends up being like his emergency contact. Uh, so a lot of the book takes place like texting and emails. So it's a very modern love story. And it also explores a lot of topics that like are big nowadays. Like it's definitely a, a YA novel for the Me Too era. So um, I just really liked it. I, what was the name of it again? It's called Emergency Contact. Mm. Um, it's gotten a lot, a lot of press um, because she has such a presence. Like she like works at worked at marvel works advice like she's she's not a she's not a nobody which i mean i guess is great for if you're gonna write a book that's gonna tackle difficult subjects like this like you kind of don't want to just not have the background for it to get out there so um so reading it was like fascinating like there was this uh part of the book i don't know if you guys heard this is like really crazy gamer stuff I think like five years ago, there was a couple in Korea who had a baby and they were playing games too much. And so they, their baby died. Um, what? Yeah. So that like plays a part in the book and like, it's even crazier. I didn't realize until I guess I had known it at one point, pretty much they had been playing a game where they were taking care of a virtual baby and they let their actual baby die because of it. Um, they were gaming addicts. And so the baby died. And so this, so Penny, like, she's struggling with her Korean-American identity, so she uses, like, that story as a plot of her, like, fiction work that she has to hand it at the end of the semester. So she's, like, trying to deal, as she's dealing with her mother, like, not being a good parent, essentially, or that she doesn't think is a good parent. Like, so she's, she's like, just writing a fictive version of this, these parents who let their baby die. And it's just, like, this fascinating thing, like, you can tell that, like, the author has brought a lot of her own culture into it, and then she's brought, like, tons of American culture into it. Like, there's this whole thing with, like, 
Mm-hmm. There's an un- undocumented mother of a child, and it's just like really, really. Fa- it's like definitely a a book for 2018 if if you're if you're liberal. <laughs> um, but I really, I really like it, and I, I want to kind of read some of her other. She hasn't. This is her first novel, but I want to read some of her her comics now. I think she wrote a novella also, but I think um, it's it's been a long time since I've liked a good non like fantasy or sci fi YA book that kind of like touches touches on it a little bit because like there is a lot of stuff with like the gaming and and virtual relationships essentially um but i don't know i just really yeah i got like really into it i kind of want to read it again that's awesome like th- like this week not like in the year or something like <laughs> i want to read it this week. <laughs> yeah no finding like, a good ya there's nothing quite like reading a good ya uh novel well, Every time, every time I go through a slump and I can't find a good YA novel, I just kind of think, oh, am I, t- am I done? Am I too old for YA? Um, I mean, this one was definitely a more mature YA book. So, um, yeah, but the answer is always no. It's just, we just need to find the right books. Yeah. Agreed. So, so yeah, so that was, that was one of the many books I read over Pesach. What about you, Michal? Yeah, so my current obsession is going to be um, a series of unfortunate events, which is back on Netflix for season two. And um, I, <laughs> I'm like, I have a very complicated relationship with this series because I was very much obsessed with it uh, as a young person and a young reader, and um, in in. In, in my youth, basically. Uh, and I was <laughs> I was crushed by... I mean, I followed this. Like, I bought all of the extra auxiliary stuff to try and solve all the mysteries and figure out what was going on. And, like, I think I have two copies of the Beatrice letter, letters in my house. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It was intense. Um, you must have been, like, doubly disappointed. I was very disappointed. I was throw the book disappointed when the series ended. And it was like, oh, and they found out the answers, but that didn't really matter at the end. Um, spoiler alert, that's how the books end. Um, so, um, I, uh, and, and the moral, moral equivalency of it, honestly, actually really bothered me too. Um, but that is a different conversation. But, uh, the show is done in a way that it's kind of like the books in 3D, which, I mean, theoretically all adaptations are technically books in 3D, but this is very much showing you kind of all sides of what's going on. And the mystery has a lot more um, meat to it. And there's, it's not just like vague hints and the Baudelaire's have no idea what's going on. It's the audience gets some of what's going on and like that slowly infiltrates the Baudelaire's experience. And I feel like I'm kind of partly watching it to like resolve, (laughs) like, like unfulfilled. I'm worried that they're just teasing us again, you know, and they're just doing even more blatant teasing. I expect they probably are. Um, but I have to watch anyway so that, you know, my thirties can be ruined. Like my, you know, teens. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah. Uh, so, so, and and it is honestly, it's, it's a mixed bag, right? Because at, at the end of the day, each episode is pretty much the same. Like, Count Olaf shows up. Nobody believes it's Count Olaf. The kids know it's Count Olaf. They are, you know, nobody believes them. And then he kills somebody and it turns out to be Count Olaf. Um, 
And that, that really and happens. And they reveal his tattoo, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's clearly right. Count Olaf. How could we not have seen this? Right. Yeah. Um, so there, <laughs> there is kind of like, a, a, I have to kind of take it a little bit slowly. Uh, but at the same time, like, for some reason, it stuck out to me even more this time watching season two. But this show is so Jewish, it's crazy. It's like, at first I, I started taking notes because I was like, oh, maybe I'll write an article about all the Jewish references in a series of unfortunate events season two. And then I was like, wait a second, like, this is kind of pervasive. Like, there is only one or two references to, like, Jewish things per episode. But the way it's built, I'm convinced that this is a world where, like, Judaism is the dominant religion and Christianity is, like, Judaism, if it exists. So, like, people are like, oh, you're Christian? Like, oh, that's weird. Um, uh, which is enforced by by some lines that uh, pop up later in the season. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I've heard people call the show anti-Semitic, you know, because there are definitely a lot of characters who seem to be identified, like Principal Nero in the, in the first episodes of this season, um, Definitely seems to be identified Count as Count Olaf himself. Also Count Olaf. Yeah, he has, I mean, he has the, the, the nose. I mean, like, the yes, nose. it's it's very much, <laughs> like, you could definitely interpret it that way. But that's somehow not not how I'm interpreting it. And I think it's just, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to feel about this until it's all said and done. <laughs> but uh, for now, I'm kind of, like, shocked that they have managed to, to pull me in and get me thinking about something that I... I swore I would never return to. <laughs> They're evil. That's why. Yes, indeed. Oh, Daniel Handler is absolutely evil. He is a million percent an evil person. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, moving on from our current obsessions, we're going to talk about Mary Sue's. Boo. Mary Sue's Yeah. Who, who wants to describe what a Mary Sue is? Leave that I feel to like you too. can't really ever agree on what a Mary Sue this is. is and they tend to expand the definition to include any character I don't like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I think that, um, I think there are honestly two definitions of a Mary Sue. There's kind of the, mm -hmm. the very strict fan fiction definition, which is the one that I kind of hold by, which is that a Mary Sue is a self-insert character who uh, has many powers and is treated like a goddess by the characters who the writer possibly desires um, it, within her own story. Um, it's, al it's always written by women for various reasons. Um, and I, I, I think that definition is definitely worth its critique. Uh, like it, I, I don't think that's good writing, although I think that there's certainly room for it in fan fiction. But then the other definition would be, you know, people think that any female character who exceeds their, um, what they think is realistic, uh, you know, capabilities is a Mary Sue and should be, you know, excised from the modern canon, a la Rey. <clears throat> um, yes, but almost always they apply this to female characters, whereas if a male character is excessively competent, it's usually like... The hero. Okay, yeah. He's just a protagonist, <laughs> Yeah, no, there's a great thing about how Batman is, like, the ultimate Mary Sue. And uh, he really, he really, really is. Um, or Gary Stu, as uh, 
as you would yeah, put it. I think a friend of mine was like, we should just call the male version of a Mary Sue a Jesus, because like <laughs> that's what Jesus was. <laughs> um, like Luke Skywalker is such a Jesus. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny to me, Michal, that like for you and I, I also came across Mary Sue as like a term regarding fan fiction when I was younger. But like, it's not just self inserts to me. It's like any female character. Like, yeah, it's usually self insert. But like, even if it was a a not like a not a new character, like just a a female character who could do everything, solved all the problems, and um, a Twitter thread that you sent over today. Uh, I think it's who who was it. Um, Shauna McGuire. Shauna McGuire. She was uh, tweeting about uh, kind of about why why we think that like why essentially like Ray is a Mary Sue to many people, but Luke isn't, even though he definitely is. Um, and it was essentially so fascinating because she was going in this whole thing about why women write fan fiction more than men in general, and and uh, she ended up talking about Mary Sues, and she ended up essentially saying that women aren't used to seeing themselves have um authority and power so we are quick to label these women who are capable of being mary sues and then she also went into this whole thing that was fascinating to me about how um women like a lot of fan fiction is like slash fan fiction like guys on guys and like it's still written by females and i always had to have even though like i've seen it all like i still have a big problem with it like morally it seems really bad and she's saying it's because women don't know how to see themselves like as the the dominant characters, so it's easier to write two male characters than than a female. And also, male just character. the yeah, and the she talked about the how the reception of fic that is written with original characters is just seen as less legit and mm. you know less good and less interesting than than uh, the ones that are written with the pre-existing characters, the majority of whom are male. So. And the majority of characters who are, even if they're not male themselves, are written by men. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was just, it was such a fascinating thread. I'm no, so it was great. It and we'll, we'll definitely link that in our, in our um, description. But I think what was most interesting to me um, is, is that kind of contrast between Mary Sue as like the ultimate pejorative against a female character. And, and that contrast, the fact that, that a lot of male characters, we frankly just accept as Mary Sue's I mean we we accept their perfection we expect accept their specialness their centrality to the to the narrative um and this doesn't just apply to women it also applies to people of color as well um like just just notice how many people are like you know we'll pick apart every detail about Wakanda and how it doesn't make sense but you know Superman is like Krypton that that that's sure that That makes makes sense sense. that's fine um (laughs) But what was particularly interesting to me is that um, uh, the um, uh, Ready Player One movie came out recently, and I have you guys seen or read Ready Player One? Because I have not. No, I read the book, and um, I didn't. There wasn't really much controversy about it until the movie started gathering a lot of buzz, and then like all of this hate came out of the woodwork, and it just like it seemed to me that like it became disproportionate to, you know, the flaws of the book. And it just became like, everybody was just beating on it for every possible reason. And it was just like, Ready Player One is the epitome of all that is bad in everything. And it's just like Satan in book form. And I was like, I was, you know, at first I was like, 
puzzled at like where did this even come from and you know and i i read more stuff about it and vox did a great piece on how you know in a post gamergate world um a lot of the things that people you know felt about were the problems at the root of gamergate you know you can see echoes of them in ready player one um if you look for them you know um it's not necessarily that they are like central or you know rooted in in there in like the most terrible ways they just you know they just reflect that you know there are a lot of men in this culture and that a lot of the the male centered you know male dominated fandoms are the ones that are given you know the most coverage um and yeah, and people felt like they were be that there was gatekeeping going on. Although I feel like, due to reasons that are relevant to the plot of the book and the entire structure of the book, I didn't really feel like it was it was gatekeeping. You know, as, as in, you know, these fandoms are good and these fandoms are bad. It's more about like what the a particular character was obsessed with, um, and because the entire book is structured around this person's obsessions, um, and the entire universe followed his obsessions in order to win a particular contest you know so it's 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 kind of it's kind of messy and it's kind of muddled um what you know what's there and what is what is perception um and what you know you can see reflected in it and what you know is actually in the text on the page and what is you know subtext and how much is interpretation um and yeah, so like they're worthwhile discussions. I just I got very tired of people just beating up on the book and not allowing for any, you know, room to discuss, you know, what I felt was a more complex reality than they were giving it credit for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's totally like absolutely valid. Again, I'm I'm really not attempting to make any kind of comment about Ready Player One. Um, but mm-hmm. I I do I did see like a, a quote, um, or a, kind of a, a image on Twitter from Geek Girl Authority that says that Ernie Ernie Klein Ernest Klein revealed in an interview with The Guardian that Wade Watts, the main character, was an extension of himself, stating that Watts is the embodiment of him as a teenager, eighties trivia and all. And I was just floored by that because, like, if a female author said that, like, she would be eviscerated. Like, this would be like front page news in geek circles and like. Oh, her writing I feel is like invalid, that is also, and yeah, I I totally agree that there would probably be a different reaction to it, and I think that's sad because I think that you know, as writers, like all of our characters are extensions and reflections and distortions of ourselves, um, and we are you know often we're you know figuring ourselves out through the writing process and you know by putting these characters in different situations and you know figuring stuff out about ourselves um and that the idea of being a self-insert character even if it's and like no no character like he's saying it's a it's an extension of himself as a teenager so like you're taking a you know you basically made a character version of yourself because you're no longer that person so it's it's a character you're you turn yourself into a character um and yeah i don't i don't know so i feel like i feel like it's you know it's it's not fair to writers overall you know male or female 
um, to dismiss their characters because they're extensions of themselves any, any more than it's fair to, you know, criticize an actor saying that like so-and-so is gay and this character is gay, therefore they're playing themselves, you know, and stuff like that. Even if they are drawing on their own experience in many ways, um, I feel like, you know, part of art is creating from yourself, but making something that is, you know, beyond yourself. Yeah, but I mean, I'll confess, I always kind of viewed that, and maybe, and I'm, I could totally be wrong, and I'm actually interested what you guys think about this, but like, my, my feeling um, has, has been for a long time that self-insert characters are not, self-insert, I, there's different, there's different kind of like degrees, right? Like there's just a character who you're like, I experienced this, so I'm going to deal with a character who also experiences this. But I think that like once you, once it becomes a wish fulfillment thing, which to me, not knowing much about Ready Player One, it does kind of seem like, um, like I get to play with all this stuff and, and live in this amazing world that I would have loved to live in as a teenager. That to me does become slightly less good writing because it's and and I mean as I'm saying it I'm like well maybe that's not fair because I'm like well it's indulgent but then so what <laughs> you know there's a lot of indulgent writing out there I don't know Tamar what do you think uh, I mean I think it's like you have to balance out because you're supposed to write about what you know and you're also supposed to like you're writing because it's clearly not something that is actually happening so you're supposed to clearly go beyond the realm of what you know and and write about that. Um, but I think, I, I guess I think it's the way you, you do it. Like there are still times when I like roll my eyes, like, Oh my gosh, this is such a Mary Sue. And there are times where if it's artfully done, like, is is that the only difference? It's a matter of being artfully done versus not when you're self inserting. Like, like I was saying, I was talking about, I was talking about emergency contacts and Penny could come off as such a Mary Sue, but because, and, and maybe because I know the author's background she does or doesn't in certain ways, but like nobody, nobody. I don't think most people, at least at first, saw saw like the Force Awakens and was like, "Ray, Ray is a Mary Sue." Like nobody. Yeah, no, we have nobody, Max like, Landis to thank for that. Yeah, like I don't think anybody was just sitting there like self insert of a of a female character by a female. <laughs> J.J. Like, Abrams, like, this is your Mary like, Sue. <laughs> If anything, that like I guess the biggest one who we should look at for to see if she's a Mary Sue would be Wonder Woman because like Patty Jenkins, uh, like was is a female director who was very in the open. Like, did anybody say, "Oh, Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. She's a Mary Sue." Like, no, because we all came in with the knowledge that she's supposed to be this powerful. But the but the phrase, the I guess the the way of shaping Ray's persona or Ray's uh, the way people have perceived Ray didn't necessarily come with that same. I mean, like, even, I, I think I said it on this podcast, like, I was kind of, like, bewildered and, and a little bit turned off by Leia's sudden force powers awakening thing in the middle of space and, and um, uh, whatchamacallit? In The Last Jedi. Yeah, thank you. I was trying to remember if it wasn't The Return of the Jedi. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> um, Revenge in, of in, the Jedi. Yeah. Well, that's not in, it. In, in The Last Jedi, like, I was shocked by that and part of me now as I'm speaking is like was I shocked because she exhibited very classic Mary Sue ability to do something that she shouldn't have been able to do based on what I know about her and what I feel about her but like is did did by 
I want to like say this properly. Like Bailey being able to do something more than I think she should be able to was I kind of making her in my mind a, a Mary Sue who had gone beyond her allowable capabilities. I, I don't really know to, how to yeah, answer sometimes. my own <laughs> Yeah, no, I know the feeling of, like, trying to struggle with, like, do I dislike this character because I feel like this character is poorly written, you know, generally speaking, or is it specifically because of my expectations of female characters, you know, that this one rubs me the wrong way because she, you know, just, you know, she exhibits certain traits that I, I'm not used to, or, you know, like, are they, are they inherently a problem you know, with the character, or is it me? <laughs> you know, oh. sometimes you can't tell. Can I? Can I continue my like little Star Wars rant? Mm-hmm. Um, just like Padme, like is Padme a Mary Sue? Like she's very capable, like she's queen clearly. But like the weakest moments we see her, and like we see her built up as a as a really strong, you know, like a monarch and someone who like she might not be physically strong or like force strong, but she's very like determined and she has that personality. But like. You never think once, like, oh, she's, like, too too determined. Like, she's powerful. And then when they switch her whole personality in the end, like, for her to essentially, like, give up because of love, like, that's when, that's when everyone falls apart with, like, the third, like, the first three movies. Like, it all falls apart, essentially, because everyone hates how they ended that. Mm-hmm. And, like, they we hate how they ended it because they essentially turned her into the Mary Sue that they wanted her to be. They wanted her to be, like, this perfect queen and perfect warrior and perfect lover and then also the perfect like victim that's kind of like a reverse mary sue wouldn't it be like like or or as it was otherwise known like the female sidekick in most movies until like i don't know <laughs> 1977 but we only we right but we only hate her when when they turn her into that right but One so that's that's, that's what i'm awesome saying like maybe theory about this, but you could look at it as like this, I mean, this is a very uncharitable way of looking at it, and I'm not necessarily advocating <laughs> for this, but you could see it being that, like, ultimately, George Lucas could only be satisfied with a female character when she was stripped of everything dead. that gave her her identity and dead. Yeah. I mean, I I, I'm not like saying he, just, he felt he like that, but... The, I feel like he came up with the plot before he came up with the characters. But so, you know, something else that I, it kind of makes me think of the Mary Sue discussion is sort of what qualities we value, you know, and what qualities, like, like very few female characters are, are, uh, like given the Mary Sue definition because they're too emotionally intelligent, you know, or they're too, like, they're too sensitive or they're too good at sewing, you know, that's not like, like typical feminine qualities are usually not slapped on those kind of characters. And I kind of wonder if it's like, again, sort of a defensive thing, but like women are supposed to have these qualities and men are supposed to have these qualities. And when you, you know, because the male hero is supposed to have you know, the qualities of strength and ingenuity and blah, blah, blah. He's supposed to be Luke Skywalker. He's supposed to be able to make that shot at the end of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. Because of that, like, we don't, we don't, and by we, I, I mean a very general collective society, but we don't go like, oh, no, wait, this doesn't feel right. That's obviously something wrong with the writing and not my perception of gender norms, <laughs> you know, as opposed to, like, when a woman picks up a sword, 
it's like, you couldn't do that, you don't, like, and people will go, like, you know, in, down to the degree of arm strength that the average woman has, and it's like, oh my goodness, guys, calm down. Like, whoa. <laughs> Does that yeah, resonate I, with you guys? Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I, when you said the sword thing, I was just thinking about, like, Eowyn, and I was just like, is she a Mary Sue because she's able to do what she does? But she's not. So I'm trying to figure out, like, in my brain, what makes someone a Mary Sue. Is it that I just find them annoying? Like, (laughs) (laughs) But would you think that Eowyn was a Mary Sue if J.R.R. Tolkien was Jenny Tolkien? Maybe. But maybe not, because there's so many other men that it's just, like, finally a female character. Right. But that's interesting, too, right? Yeah, I was just thinking that... um... Did you, you saw, we all saw Thor Ragnarok, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and so I was just thinking Valkyrie, uh, Thompson's character, mm-hmm. you know, and she never feels like a Mary Sue. I think it's because her flaws are so very clear from the get-go. And I think that maybe with Eowyn, because we see, you know, from her, our first impression of her, you know, is, you know, her unrequited crush on Aragorn. And we see her, you know, with her father and we see her other aspects of her character, um, not just her hyper competence at fighting. Um, so I think those help mitigate the Mary Sue-ness of a character. Mm. Uh, well, it's interesting because the ones you were describing for Erwin were all relatively feminine ones. Like she had a crush. She was in like family oriented situations. Yeah. So maybe that's why we don't think of her as a Mary Sue. I don't yeah, know. I, I feel badly different. towards all the Mary Sue characters I have judged in my lifetime, but they still <laughs> annoy me like a lot. <laughs> it's interesting though. Cause like, I think, you know, I was, I was thinking about, for example, if, if J.R.R. Tolkien had been a woman, like we don't consider Hermione Mary Sue but I think that there are people who consider Ginny a Mary Sue. And that's interesting to me also, because she is that type of character who definitely veers into that sort of hyper-competent realm. But I don't think, I mean, I don't think Ginny is Mary Sue at all, but, you know, it, it's interesting to, to think, like, how, how it's, it's a matter of degrees, right? Like, how many traits is this character allowed to have how many other male characters around her offset how many of these traits? How many female characters are stereotypical or, or do not challenge those ideas? You know, I feel like there's there's probably a whole psychological laundry list of stuff that we go through without realizing it when we categorize someone as a Mary Sue. But I, I'm totally with you, Tamara, in that I am very much, like... I also have started to feel guilty about being like, oh, no, just a Mary Sue. Or like, oh, this fan fiction is just a Mary Sue, which well, is its own conversation. But About Ginny, it's like so fascinating that I know people think she's a Mary Sue. And there are times, particularly when I'm envisioning movie Ginny, that I'm like, oh, Ginny's such a Mary Sue. Because in the movies, we like didn't really get to know Ginny. But in the books, like, you, you know, like what she dealt with, like what she had personality I think a lot of the time when I'm she's definitely the other characters and her abilities seem to come out of nowhere even though you can like if you look closely you can be like oh well she's a Weasley so and she hung out with all these people and obviously you know she picked up on things but it's just it's it's not given a foreground until much later in the series so it feels like it comes out of nowhere 
I I kind of disagree with you because like there's all those like one liners about her and stuff, but but like it's not her story, so I don't really necessarily care about it. I wish it had become her story later on. So that's like more of a problem with J.K. Rowling's writing than anything else. And I don't necessarily think that makes Ginny uh, a Mary Sue because she's underdeveloped. But like I think more of the time it's like when you have a character who's supposedly fleshed out and then they're they're given no substance and that's when I think I tend to think of someone as a Mary Sue. Mm-hmm. Like when they have no reason for being this way. Like like is Katniss in the Hunger Games a uh. Mary Sue because she's really, really good at everything? Um I don't think so because like she's given a reason of why she's able to do like hunting and yeah. stuff. I think I think some of the other things she does is just like uh, you know you're Mary Sue, but like it's not like she's innately a Mary Sue because she's able to do what she's able to do. I think right. she's a Mary Sue because she's a stupid picking over two boys. Come on, the whole world is ending. Like why are you gonna make that the plot of these books? Thank you. <laughs> well, <laughs> Don't get me started. Kind of like the world is ending. I don't have time to think about this. I will deal with it later. Most but, of the but time. all she does is think about it. Like, well, she thinks about it, but she's like she's much more preoccupied with the war and with saving her sister than like either of those two boys. Is she in the first book? It maybe. felt that way to in me. In the first book, she definitely is, and then the other two, I like literally was just like, "Why am I still reading this? Why yeah. am I still reading this?" Same. And Allegiance had the same. I'm oh, sorry, a Divergent had a similar issue, and I'm just like, the world is terrible. I really felt it in Divergent. I felt like the romance really, really took over. But um, I didn't feel it as much with Hunger Games. Do you think Triss is a, is a Mary Sue? Um, I think to some extent I felt like that because, um, yeah, like sometimes she would be just, you know, stupidly brave. And I was like, where is this really coming from? And we don't really know. Yeah, I think... I th- so something that that appealed to me about Triss the first time I read Divergent, like before the rest of it came out, before it was super famous and it was kind of like a burden at that point, um, it did. I I did appreciate that she was kind of like actually unsure of who she was and what her capabilities were, and was just kind of up to try stuff. You know, that that appealed to me in the beginning. And then I agree, I think it kind of got into like, the well, no, I'm an action hero type of thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I did enjoy the series and I still haven't seen, I think, did they make the last book into two movies? No, I, haven't I don't seen, think they're making Weren't that. they making it into a TV show or something and she got really mad? I don't know. They definitely made a third movie, which I haven't seen. But I did like the second movie better than the first movie. Like, I, I liked the second movie first. better than the book. Um, but I did like, like, the narration in the first book. I did feel had a little more depth than people tend to give it credit for. Um, so some, some things, you know, felt like they, you know, were authentic to the character. Some things were just, you know, felt like, well, we got to move the story along, so I'm going to make the character do this. But, yeah, so I, I don't think, know. I never thought of her as a Mary Sue. So, I mean, I think the reason why Michal thinks she isn't, or uh, her found your first read th- th- thinks that she's not a Mary Sue is, like, the reason that I do think she is kind of because, like, she questions herself. Yeah, but she's still able to do it. And, like, she's never not able to really do it. And as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, like, does that make Mulan a Mary Sue? And, like, now I'm just, like, is Mulan the ultimate Mary Sue? And now I'm just thinking about that. 
and uh, I don't know why my brain went from Tris to Mulan, but like I'm just thinking about like people who think that they can do things and do them. Mulan like, is does maybe that... uh, Mulan is very very dear to my heart, so it pains me to say this. Greatly. Me also, but <laughs> but maybe Mulan is a Mary Sue in the final fight with Shanyu. I would. Where she like she... is an untrained warrior and somehow able to. Yes. Yes. That, that <laughs> she wasn't work. untrained. She was the best cadet, but still, you well, put the best cadet against you know an actual trained soldier. Is I mean, different. I'm the one who was laughing at people debating Aowen's arm strength, and I'm about to say that like she should not have been able to twist that uh, that that sword out of his hand with a van. <laughs> like physics don't work. That way. <laughs> well, that was that was less her arm. That was less her arm strength and more. She was not use, She was using a wooden fan. There's no way that wooden fan. If it was like an ivory fan, you could have maybe had that argument. But it was a wooden fan. There's no way that yeah. wooden fan was supposed to do that. Yeah. It was the element of surprise. But I mean, at the same time, like going back earlier in the movie, you know, like Be a Man, the greatest song in the history of uh, the universe um, and the galaxy. And when aliens come, they'll be like, yep, we found it. Best song. Um, that That is special to me because it's I mean yes it is her gaining physical strength gaining physical ability but the reason she's able to climb that tower thing that post at the end is not because she's stronger it's because she physically figures out how to do it like what the best way exactly it is it is math Mulan maths her she sciences her way up that that pole she physics (laughs) her way up yeah she was creative. Yes. It was her creativity that won the contest. Exactly. Which we always knew she was. That's an inherent part of the character. God, I love that movie so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> maybe we should do, like, a commentary on the lawn. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's watch it in live stream. Oh, uh, that would be fun. Actually, I know this is, like, a definitely a non-sequitur, but I actually really love, I really, 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 really love a Be a Man, but part of me really hates it, because, like, the whole point in the movie is that she doesn't have to be a man, and, like, literally the best song that everybody loves is telling her to be a man, and I'm just like... Yeah, but it's oh. also laughing at the concept of masculinity, I feel. Yes. yes. Yeah, that's you know? why so, I like, love it. That's why it's forgivable. Yeah, because it's not, <laughs> like, like, the whole time you're singing that song, you know that she's there as a woman and being just as badass or, or as unbadass as the rest Much of the unbadass soldiers. Most of the men. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but um, moving away from Mulan, um, does anyone else have any other <laughs> thoughts on Mary Sue's? I mean, there's so much to talk about, but, like, Yeah. I read a book recently that was written by a female author and there was just so much absurd sexism and just like men falling all over this character and like going on and on about how beautiful she was. And I didn't even, I didn't associate it, you know, with the Mary Sue trope until this conversation because I was mostly just thinking of it as, like, this was, you know, the standards for sexism in 1998 were really gross, you know? And I just wasn't thinking about it in terms of Mary Sue trope. But, if, but you know, now I'm thinking of it, like, she may have started out as a fanfic writer, and this was one of the things that, that you know, that was common in fanfic at the time. Um, and she may have carried over into her into her regular writing, and for whatever reason, you know, ed- editors and audiences at the time didn't mind it. Um, I think the book was written in 1998. It's called Rhapsody by Elizabeth Hayden. Um, and it's 
yeah, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> like, like it, there's like literally a section in the middle where a new character meets this meets, meets protagonist, and he we're in his his mind for like four solid, very small print pages of him going on and on and on about her beauty and physical description, and it's just very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and like it happens all the time with a lot of the other characters, and like the woman is completely oblivious to it. And I think that obliviousness is also a common trait in Mary Sue's, um, that they are just, you know, amazing at everything, but they're also so innocent and humble and wide-eyed and unaware of how awesome they are. Well, yeah, um, I mean, yeah. but that would be a symptom of, of that, like, it's, it's not like other characters in the story acknowledge it either. <laughs> really, right? Other than to grumble, like, oh, look how pretty she is, you know? That's that's not... Well, in the story, it was like, you know, a lot of the characters were like, does she really not get it, you know? And they were like, nope, she just doesn't. She doesn't have a clue. And it's mm -hmm. like, happens repeatedly, you know? Like, there's actually, like, a, an incident at the marketplace where two, you know, carriages crash into each other because they're too busy staring at her. And, like, everyone else knows it's because they were staring at her, but she just has, has no clue. It just gets it gets so annoying and frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I feel like yeah, that doesn't directly connect to any particular other points we were making about a Mary Sue, but I guess just extensions of possible Mary Sue traits and patterns. Yeah. Um, well just to just to wrap up then, I guess, um, any thoughts on how Manic Pixie Dream Girls fit into this? Well, aren't they Mary Sue's? Like, I, I was just going to say, like... Uh, they tend to be written by men, though. Exactly. That's, that's definitely true, but... So I guess, like, the only difference is that they're not written by women. But but I was just going to say, like, we've talked a lot about what we think is or is not Mary Sue's, but we haven't really said... Like, this is probably our most discordant conversation ever. Because we, we don't really know what we're talking talking about because Mary Sue is such a broad term and so even saying like is a, Mary, a manic pixie dream girl of Mary Sue my first thought was yeah of course but because we also think it's self-insertion is it is it not like we don't really know what we think is what yeah and I feel like the manic pixie dream girl is another trope that is has become you know somewhat ill-defined you know and like the general idea of it is that it's this you know flighty and quirky and irrational adventurous girl who is basically there to teach the protagonist the male protagonist a lesson or inspire him in some way um and so i guess you know like a lot of those characters could be mary sue characters because they are like unrealistically competent a lot of the time um I think, you know, the problem with them is just, is more their role in the story rather than their actual, like, personalities or capabilities. Yeah, I'm just interested, um, I'm just interested in kind of the idea, the contrast between, like, a Mary Sue as an object of self-fulfillment and a Mary, manic, manic pixie dream girl as an object of, uh, of sexual fulfillment of, you know, of, of finding the perfect female partner, uh, who understands the male character 
you know, perfectly mm-hmm. and, and, and he has to save in some way. So, I mean, I would, and I actually agree with you. I, I think, uh, SM, that you are very much right that the t- even the term Manny Pixie Dream Girl, I think that that term also has gotten very diffuse and it is also, like Mary Sue, kind of used if people don't like a thing and it's like, well, that's the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And then it's like, well, it doesn't do this, this or this, but it's still kind of and it's the spirit. I sort of get what you mean. And yeah, but... but The Manic Pixie Dream Boy doesn't get as much, you know, ridicule as the Manic Pixie Dream any? Girl. I mean, you could well, a manic look at Pixie pretty much Dream almost Boy. Any, any... There are a lot of love interests, you know, that could probably fall, you know, fit the same paradigm but we don't look at it through that lens yeah i feel like people would want to diagnose a manic pixie dream boy rather than celebrate him yeah <laughs> he must be a savant of some yeah kind. i don't know but that's that's yeah it's all very interesting to think about and i i think it's good to i mean i i, I agree with you as well tomorrow like it, it is sort of a diffuse conversation and and we are a little bit scattershot here but I think it's important to think about in, in all of its different iterations and sure and some of which I'm sure we've we've missed. Um, so if you have any of those, definitely get in touch with us if you have opinions, feelings, if you uh, totally disagree with everything we're saying, then also send us an email. Let us know. Talk to us. Twitter, it happens. And if you're Sean and McGuire, we'd love to hear from you too. Ooh, yes. I have Every Heart a Doorway, which I've heard absolutely rave things about that I have in my house and I must read um, and I'm very excited for that but uh, unless we have anything else to say um, we'll definitely return to the topic of fan fiction in the future that is definitely something we, we would like to explore in depth and and discuss any other thoughts? I'm done. No, cool. I'm, it's kind of hard to talk about Mary Sue's because I get angry right <laughs> <laughs> I totally <laughs> Could you just cut that out and put that at the end of the podcast? <laughs> I love that. That was so funny. Um, so anyway, um, yeah. Uh, and so, also, wait. Actually, yeah. I, I do something to say. Like, is, why do we get so angry about Mary Sue's? Like, is it because we're not, like, enabled? Like, we don't get angry when we see, like, a, a male character, usually, or at least not until recently, when there's, like, a male character who, like, does everything right. Like, we don't stop and think about it but we but a female character does we're like oh no and like there's something so wrong with that like why do we even like have feelings towards mary susan what we think they should and should not be like it's so stupid i hate no, this conversation i completely agree with you <laughs> i have a really dark interpretation that's probably wrong on many levels but nevertheless it is my interpretation um which is that we fundamentally question not not innately but because of the stories we've been exposed to our whole lives um we question why women and people of color uh and other minority groups are there in the first place and why this isn't just a parade of white guys um and subconsciously we have to justify why other people are there and even as much as i know i definitely do not want to i want to be like yes this should be everyone absolutely but even i i know sometimes i find myself going like like the end of mulan i find myself going like "Mm, he probably should have cut her head off and I'm like why do I care this is a story it's a children's movie about an empowered girl why does that matter and yet sometimes I still have those it's a cartoon with a talking dragon (laughs) don't get mad about that realism please don't insult the realism of Mushu (laughs) (laughs) 
a talking yeah. dragon. That is sounds like a great like stone dragon. It's very realistic and scared me when I was younger. <laughs> it, it, yeah, <laughs> but um, Michal, something you said like made me think, like the way that we question like female characters' uh, worth and abilities. Like, I wonder if that's related to how so many more women just in not just writers but mostly writers because that's who I know seem to struggle with the like the idea of imposter syndrome in their in their work than men um like it's something that like men would never even question like oh am I not good enough in my career that people are paying me for but like so many women talk about imposter syndrome all the time or feelings that are related to imposter syndrome which is essentially thinking that you faked it and made it and people are going to figure out that you faked it and you're total fraud and like I wonder if that's similar like we're trying to figure out like no no this character she's not realistic enough but we're used to men white male characters particularly like being able to do those things so we're just like we don't even question it and we don't we don't and we feel like it's it's just innately wrong when it's a a female character I think some of the imposter syndrome you know is is probably definitely from social conditioning like this I do think that there I mean from personal experience you know from like Pretty much almost any man I've ever talked to also suffers from imposter syndrome. I don't know if it, you know, stems, you know, if it runs quite as deep or if it stems from the same sources. But I think that, you know, adulthood in general and responsibility in general, you always feel like you're winging it. Um, And yeah, so don't write off all the men like that. (laughs) <laughs> necessarily um i think there are a lot less men who would will say it than women i yeah i definitely think that it's a lot less acceptable to talk about it and that's you know another issue with masculinity of you know not being allowed to talk about your feelings um and men often i feel like will overcompensate in different ways than women will like women will you know stay quiet whereas men will talk more um and like those are often both coping mechanisms um, and they just, you know, we cope in ways that are deemed socially acceptable for our gender. Um, But yeah, this is like a a whole separate kettle of fish. Yeah. So basically uh, next time on Nice Jewish Fangirls, all the gender problems and uh, (laughs) and the podcast will be... And that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that'll be our final episode. <laughs> There's nothing left to say. Yeah. <sighs> oh. oh. God. Yeah. <laughs> so, m- moving away from this topic, though, for, for something nicer, um, this is our 30th episode, guys. Yeah. We are as old as me. <laughs> Happy us <laughs> day. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. And, of course, thank you to everybody who has been listening to us all along the way. Um, before we say goodbye, though, I did want to remind everyone that Jewish Comic Con is coming up in, on April 29th. That is a Sunday, because it's Jewish, so they're not going to be like, come con on Saturday, and then have nobody show up. So, uh, it's... Taking <laughs> con on Saturday. Right, exactly. I kind of want to write a song about that um (laughs) but um yeah so that's april 29th at congregation call israel in uh in brooklyn you can go to jewishcomiccon.org for more information the three of us will be there we are supposed to have a panel at uh, around six o'clock ish i mean it's honestly probably gonna run on jewish time a little bit so 
you know. Um, but if you're in the area, we That's would... That's late. Th yes. Oh, yeah, it's definitely not early. <laughs> oh, no. No, we're going to wrap this up by, like, 5.15. We'll <laughs> chick-chock. It'll be good. Um, yeah, but... Uh, it's a good it's a good thing to support um all the all the proceeds go to um preserving the shul uh congregation cholesterol which is a, re a really beautiful um historic building and so it's a good cause and it's fun and it's pretty close to basil um which is a, a very delicious albeit horrendously expensive uh restaurant in the area so um that said uh sm where can people find you on the internet um, they can find me on Facebook, and they can find my fiction on Amazon on my author page. Awesome. And Tamar? You can follow me at Tamar Writes on Twitter and Instagram. You could read my articles on Billboard and Forbes. Or Forbes and Billboards. Um, and as for me, you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, and you can find my writing at hypable.com. As for us, you can find us at uh, jewishcoffeehouse.com, which is our wonderful network that we're a part of, part of. There's a lot of great Jewish content there in podcast form, as it is Spirit of Omer. This might be of particular interest to you. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls, on Facebook at Nice Jewish Fangirls. And of course, if you would like to send us any email whatsoever, uh, reach out to us at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. Don't forget, Count Svira, and thank you so much for listening. We will speak to you soon. Live long and prosper, everybody.